What up, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of the Black Top Podcast. It's uh, me, I guess, your host or whatever. My name's DJ, and here with my cousin Christian. Yeah, unfortunately, though, we are down to man. We're two man gaming it tonight. Ruben is not feeling too well. So, first of all, Ruben, bro, bro, hope you feel better soon. And, you know, hopefully we're nice and whole again. But, Christian, what's up, man? What's up? Uh, not much, to be honest. I, uh, I got nothing to report on, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm chilling. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I guess like, so basically what's going to happen today is we're going to go off of a few questions that we have, whether it's like about teams, about the league, just whatever's on the table kind of thing, as long as it's about basketball. But first things first, uh, you know, our condolences to uh, the people that have been affected by Robert Sarver. I think that's that scumbag's name, you know, owner of the Suns or whatever. Very, uh, very scum of the earth type beat, but I think he got off pretty scot-free, all things considered. I think it was like like a one-year ban from the team and like a $10 million fine or something like that or whatever. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Did you hear about it, Chen? I actually, like, as I was going home, I saw some news, but I didn't read into it. I don't really know what happened. I mean, without maybe saying any trigger warning type stuff. Yeah. TLDR, basically, like, one, he was racist, and two, he committed committed very, uh, I'll I'll use the word, lewd lewd acts. (laughs) I think one that was really... I don't want to say it as eye-opening, but it kind of was that, was that apparently, I don't know why he was getting a physical or it was like something of that nature where he was like with a doctor and then he like purposely dropped his pants and yeah, that, that went how that went. But, you know, I think first of all, I, I think it's pretty light. I, I mean, it was what, only like a bit less than a decade where we had the whole Robert Donald Sterling or whatever the dude's name was where obviously that went how that went and now he's no longer the owner of the Clippers and I think this situation evokes a lot of the same sentiments in that you know it's inequalities of inequality at the end of the day and I think that he got off pretty scot-free in my opinion I think he should have to like I don't remember if he like was forced to sell or he just got flat out banned, but something along the lines to where I don't think the Sarver should be in charge of Phoenix anymore. But yeah, what do you think? No, I think there's no question about it. Like this isn't really a debatable talk topic. I think if you are thinking otherwise, it's pretty kind of you're on some weirdo shit. Not yeah, like, you know, like like it, it's one of those things where like it kind of just shows that you kind of need ownership in the NBA that's more in, like, a business state of mind, like, cooperative. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with, like, co-op businesses that are essentially, like, owned by the people. But, I mean, there's no such thing in the NBA right now, but to even see, like, multiple people own a franchise, I think, is kind of how these things don't happen, or at least don't initially happen, is by, like, not having someone have all this power over like a billion dollar i guess you could say company or brand really right i mean you could talk you could you could you could talk more on it but yeah i think it's just objectively like there's no right answer that could really oh no doubt yeah Yeah. i I think that was well put you know i don't really want to spend too much time on this but i just think the fact that you know the world we live in now you know, obviously with all like the protests that have been happening and overall just this whole kind of journey and challenging to instill more equality in the world. I think this is an instance where you kind of got to get rid of the old and in with some new, more progressive stuff. But anyways, let's move past that. So as we said, or as I said earlier, we're just going to be running off some questions that we got, you know, and I'll start off off with uh, this one, Christian. What are your thoughts on the in season tournament that has been proposed? So I like, I've seen the rules myself, and I think I'm still not understanding like the reasoning behind it. To be honest, mm. and uh, yeah, I think sorry to cut you off real quick, but for those that don't know, I. I hope I'm getting this right, but as I have come to learn, I believe it's uh, 
teams play quote-unquote cup games throughout the month of November and the eight teams with the best record go on to have single elimination and these games count toward the grand total of the 82 that every team plays but the team that does make the final plays an extra game so whoever makes the final uh, plays 83 games in total at least that's what I'm understanding I think that's interesting. I mean, I mean, from what you know, is it like, is it really just like a pre-championship or like a early season like tournament? Really, like that's all it really is. I I don't know too much about it. My main thing though is like, what do you do with the stats from that those games, specifically the final, if it ends up being like an extra one? Because I mean. They don't count playing stats right now. Like, those are kind of... I don't want to say irrelevant, but, you know, it's ambiguous in the sense that it's kind of not recorded as much as, like, regular season, regular stats are. So, I, it's very weird, I'd say. Yeah, I think, I think based on everything I kind of know about it and just... Yeah, I think my own opinion, really... Uh, I don't know. I think things like this kind of, they, I get that they're trying to shake up the league and like kind of keep things fresh and new, but I do think there's a way to do that with still keeping it recreational and not a part of like the actual league format. Because so I think the play-in tournament was already a good addition, but I think this doesn't really sound like it's necessarily benefiting teams in like every single way. I think it kind of forces like I, I i can see in some ways like that this tournament could kind of force teams to compete in a way where it can kind of somehow and i i don't think i mean thinking about it maybe it's not really actually going to do much but somehow kind of help the tanking system that goes on in the nba mm. um, just kind of forcing teams to be competitive and fill up seats and stuff like that um I don't know. It's one of those things that I don't think moves the needle that much further in terms of like league progression. I think I'd like to, I think we've talked about it numerous times that I mean, it's even really the theme of this pod at the end of the day is to see like a one-on-one or three-on-three tournament that's recreational. That 100%. Happens, like, that, that happens like during all-star break or like extend all-star break, you know, like, I mean, a lot of all-star break is really just a week. There's like sports out there like Formula One that take like month-long breaks and we could honestly do the same thing in basketball, and I don't think anyone would be mad about it. Hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think it's not necessarily clear, but you kind of see the inspiration they get from like football or or soccer. If you're in North America, where you have like you have like the FA Cup and the yeah, just those overall in season tournaments that are, you know, you get silverware at the end of the day, but it's not necessarily contributing to like your league standing as a whole. And I, there's obviously, I think a lot of negativity, but, and I'm kind of like, I'd say I'm about 60, 40 on the negative side, but I, I'm really waiting to see what, what's the overall point of it in that. What's the reward? I mean, you know, as, as great as, you know, a million dollars is obviously life-changing money to anybody, but, in the grand scheme of things, you know, is is Steph Curry going to get up for a million dollars? Is LeBron, is KD, are the guys that are making like $50 million in one year really going to come out? And I mean, I, I listened to Through the Wire earlier and they were talking about how in an earlier interview, Mark Cuban is like, not, ah, uh, yeah, he's like very against it and that he's basically saying that if it does happen, then people like Luca are going to sit. So I think it's really... There's obviously a lot of negative connotation behind it in that, you know, as cool as it does sound from a competitive standpoint, it it's a lot like, say, the 73-9 Warriors in that, you know, you can make all that history, you can win all those games, but at the end of the day, the chip's all that really counts, you know. So whether it's... I, I don't really know what you could even give as a reward because, I mean, obviously money is one thing, I think increased lottery odds has been another thing thrown about. And I don't think that's really fair because, you know, that allows teams like, say, who don't have a lot of picks, let's see, like the Lakers, say if if they win, then that whole kind of 
draft capital that they lost gets uh, reiterated or boosted in a sense. And that's not really fair to a team like, say, the Oklahoma City Thunder, who, you know, have all these picks, have all this capital, and it takes a big hit because now that this big team, this big giant of a team that has all the star players gets another advantage where the draft is really supposed to be for the teams that are at like the disadvantage who are still figuring out their like thing. And just overall it's, there's a lot of tinkering that I think is to be done about like the game itself more than there is like these sort of showy cosmetic things, I think. Uh, Yeah, I I agree. Like I, I can see in some ways that like it kind of increases fan experience and I think the comparison to like the English Premier League and soccer or English football like an idea of like a FA Cup is cool. Um I think it's just that though those type of things though are like built on tradition, you know. Yeah, and, like, 100%. Like like this is one of those things where they're kind of just trying to force that upon something that really is in tradition. Um and I feel like yeah, this isn't something that really necessarily, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if there's another way to really put it that I haven't really even mentioned, but it just doesn't seem beneficial towards, like, kind of growing the culture of basketball, you know? Like, I think there's, like, if anything, like, what would be awesome is for them to, like, just do, like, say, international games that are a part of the regular season or, like, mm. do, like, do, like, outdoor games even and, like, set up an outdoor, like, court and, like, kind of fun like neighborhoods for example like stuff like that would be like that would be like moving you know like to like i don't know for example like have rucker park like be like updated and used for like an real nba game like you know how crazy that would go like obviously logistically like sure it'd be hard but like that would like actually like shock the people this this tournament is just for money 100 percent. i mean there's that whole legend of, like, the greatest game never played, whereas, like, the who's who is, like, a young LeBron. I think MJ was supposed to play, like, the Rucker, and then that whole thing got shut down. But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see kind of more details on this as the season approaches. Obviously, it's supposed to take into effect next year. But, uh, yeah, Christian, throw at your question, baby. All right. My first question out of all mine, I think this question was like my favorite to come up with because I think I think of this player in this specific way. But my question is, if Philly fails to make the conference finals this year, does James Harden end up in a Russell Westbrook type position? And what I mean by this is, is he like ridiculed and on that same level pedestal where it's accolades and nothing to show because i think that's where people place russ now you know is that they don't really care if he's had maybe in consensus the best mvp season ever because he like has done nothing to show for it or at least like hasn't i mean he's made okay he's made a few conference appearances and one finals appearance but beyond that i mean he's he's kind of ridiculed these days he's people hate him I, I do think James Harden kind of sits in that. Like he's in on that the bubble, bubble right of now. it. Mm. Yeah. That's a. What do you think? It's a good question. Uh, well, first of all, I think we need to like unpack it in the sense of why that happened with Russ. And I think it all really stems from how shitty of a season the Lakers had. You know, not, you know, fuck the playoff or fuck like the conference finals. Those motherfuckers didn't even make the playoffs. And. At the end of the day, I think Russell Westbrook definitely took the brunt of the criticism, but I don't think it was necessarily warranted in that. Well, yeah, maybe there were like a, a lot of games where he was really ball dominant and really decided to like try to put the team on his back when in reality that's LeBron or AD's job. But at the, the end of the day, you know, they say the best ability is availability. Russ was, I think he played like 72 games, so... I think that the the scrutiny and the disdain for Westbrook, I think, is only really amplified by the fact that he is playing with the Lakers. And, you know, the Lakers are the Lakers. It's not like if he was playing for, say, 
the Pistons or nah, that's probably a bad example because they're a rebuilding team anyways. But just any kind of small market team or a team that's not really enriched with winning culture like the Lakers are, obviously that's going to be magnified. Now, when it comes to James Harden, he's somebody that undoubtedly in his prime, like peak of his peak, was, you know, in conversations for, you know, top three, definitely top four shooting guard of all time. I think there was, you know, that little window where you could debate between him and Wade, but now, as it is right now, obviously that's all kind of like dead in the water. Obviously, Wade's got the championships, the fucking 36 point per game, whatever, in this first finals. Yeah, but James Harden, I think people tend to forget I think he averaged, what, 36 in his MVP season? And that was, like, the most since, like, Wilt, I believe. I I might be pulling it out of my ass. But the fact of the matter is James Harden at his peak was, like, offense fully incarnated, I think. You can make a, make a point that he was not a better shooter, but I think just in terms of getting your shot off and just overall anchoring an offense... You, there's a good point to be made that James Harden was definitely like at par with Steph, but even at some points, especially in the MVP season, potentially you know above that. Now, with this whole Philly thing, I think it's similar in that Philly's the New York or the LA. No, Philly is the LA of the East Coast, so obviously there's all this magnitude. That it's a team that's literally ingrained in their culture that they'll boo their own players. They don't give a fuck. So, I think in that same lane as with the Westbrook thing, it it definitely has a potential. But I also think considering the personnel that the Sixers have, obviously you got a big in his prime in Joel Embiid, you got a budding star in Maxi. They have all the tools, I think, to make a deep run, but it's just a matter of actually making that run. And in order to do that, James Harden got to hoop his ass off. So I think... I don't think he'd be in the same lane as Russell just because, again, I think even though I'm making this comparison that Philly is so akin to L.A., I also think it's still in like maybe like a tier below. So I think that while in the grand scheme of things, they'd be on the same level, I do think it, the hate won't be as big as with uh, Westbrook. But I also don't think James is going to be as much of a liability as Westbrook. Because, you know, we've seen him change his play style from instant offense, always handling the ball to now where he's perceived as one of the best point guards at times. So we'll, we'll see what happens. And, yeah, I think that was a long way of saying I think they're in the same tier, but just based off kind of how the narrative will form. I don't think it'll be looked at as bad as as uh, Westbrook. That was a good question, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I need to add on to it real quick. I think, you know, for context, it really is just one of those things where I've personally felt a long time that both these players specifically, like these two players, have never been championship caliber players, you know? And maybe Harden and Westbrook have obviously showed spurts of that. Like, I'm not saying they've never been it. Maybe I did just say that, but I do think it's just like that they've always been like kind of the Achilles heel to systems at the times, like times where Harden would be like, like at a, like a 40% usage rate. And, you know, they sometimes win those games and they sometimes lose them because it was his shot or no shot, you know, um, same with Russell Westbrook. That's a good bar. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I think like for me, like there is something to be proven for both of these guys, and I just don't know if they're ever going to prove it. And I think it does come a time where you know you see like both of these players pretty much team up with the best stars in the league in their prime, and like even with like super teams stuff like that, and they're still not necessarily clicking but those players are a part of those reasons, then you kind of start to question, you know. I mean, Kyrie and Durant were championship caliber, caliber players. And keep in mind, obviously, they didn't play a lot of games together. But that shit fell apart really quickly, too. And, I mean, 
can't say it was all Harden's fault, but you know, you look at this season and what it kind of means for him to make that move to Philly. I, if you know things don't pan out again, it's almost like, all right, where does this guy belong now? You know, like where is he going to fit if he didn't fit with like, you know, possibly consensus top one, top two centers in the league? Like, it doesn't really get that much better. You know, definitely, definitely. But yeah, what's 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 your next question, DJ? So kind of staying on the same lane, not about Harden, but there's a guy in here that I think you could fit into this question. But my next one is outside of a guy like Anthony Edwards, because obviously I think he's kind of touted as the next guy up kind of thing. Who would you say is poised for their first all-star appearance this upcoming season? You know, it's crazy you asked this question because I had a similar question too, but not exactly. Um, okay, off the top of your head, I don't know if you put this down in your question, but who are – I'm honestly like – okay, I think for more context, I'm one of those NBA fans that can be like semi-casual and also very deep in it, but I think knowing who has an all-star appearance is just like off the top of my head, I only know a few people that – I mean, I know Tyrese, for example. I'll start there. Tyrese Halliburton is definitely someone who I think is going to definitely get, like, the mention. It's definitely a possibility, but I think it is one of those things where he's not in a situation to kind of necessarily get the love for an all-star vote, um, even if he does play his ass off. I mean, there's been players who took forever to be an all-star, like Bradley Beal, for example, because he's in that situation, you know, so that, I think he's one of them. Um, De'Aaron Fox has never been an all-star, eh? No. I think that's my pick, honestly. I'm pretty high on De'Aaron Fox this, De'Aaron Fox this year. Uh, I, I'm honestly thinking of drafting him top three. Hey, man, I, I, I'm on the Kings wave this year too, man. I, I think they're going to be I'm nice. On. I mean, I think it was the last podcast we we recorded together that I, I said the Kings are in contention for possibly making a playoff run this year. And I think that's the hottest take I've said, that, I've said all year. That's a very, and inside of basketball. that's a very hot take. I, I'm more so for the play-in, but I, I, I will say, I, I think Sacramento is going to have something to cheer for that they haven't really had since like, uh, yeah, shit. Since like fucking Chris Webber, white chocolate, Peja, those guys were playing, but Exactly. What what makes you say uh, you think Darren Fox is going to take that leap though? Well, I think it does have to. I think it contributes to a lot of things. Like I do think they're poised to make a like a playoff run based on kind of their personnel change, and also just you know where they kind of left off with Sabonis and Fox, and finally having Fox not have having to start a season with like another ball dominant guard. I think that's one thing. It's just that. He's going to, I think, reform back to like the player he was the previous season before the last season. Um, and I think for everyone who, I mean, for anyone who knows, he, I believe he averaged like close to 27 points per game. Yeah, I think uh, it was about 25, 27 yeah. at his peak so far. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, those are numbers that are worth like kind of keeping an eye on. And I think everyone expected him last season to honestly make that leap again and then didn't expect Tyrese Halliburton to necessarily like get in the way of that and obviously they just weren't meshing at that time and to have Sabonis who is kind of a complimentary player I think they're going to be tough to say like top three pick and roll I think in the league to be honest if everything goes right so I think with like the standings that they'll be at not being a low tier team and just having him reform to his shape I think he's definitely one of the best guards out in the west um, considering everything, and yeah, I don't know. I think he, I think he deserves that vote for sure. I respect that. I respect that. Yeah, I think if I were to give a quick little vote, you already said him. I'm a, I'm a big Tyrese Halliburton truther, man. I think he's definitely in the right situation to have the numbers to be an All Star. He was already averaging about twenty and ten, in like the limited sample size he had. But considering he's playing alongside. You know, Benedict Matron, who I'm very high on. He's still got Chris Duarte. Uh, 
Miles Turner is going to come back health, healthy, hopefully. Jalen Smith was really budding. Isaiah Jackson's another young guy they got. I, I think Tyrese has a lot of the tools to uh, get them stats up, you know what I'm saying? But uh, I do think he's going to fall into, as you mentioned, the Bradley Beal category. And I think that really stems from the fact that, you know, evidently your, your team's got to be on be at least decent, you know, above 500 at the most or at the least. Exactly. And I think that's probably the one thing mainly hindering these two guys. But Darren Fox probably has a better chance of, uh, of yeah, of making it. But all right, what's your next question? All right, so this is a question that I think kind of has a lot of different answers to, and I don't think there's a wrong answer. Uh, but my question is to you, um, who do you think is genuinely – in the best position for the future, both now and years ahead. So obviously looking towards this season, also considering the years ahead and their situation. So, you know, for example, take a look at the Lakers. I mean, I mean, as a prime example, they look good on paper with, you know, their three supposed all-stars, but their future has been kind of, you know, shot out of the water with everything they've given up. Um, so you kind of consider that as well. So who do you think overall, with both of those things considered, both this season and seasons ahead, looks like they'll be like, say, a dynasty for the future, you know? Mm, yeah, my, my next question is going to be kind of in this similar vein, but uh, let me look it up real quick about what this team's looking like. But uh, to answer your question, in my opinion, I think the team with the best future looking forward is uh, not necessarily the immediate future. Well, somewhat, because I think they're going to be, they're not going to, you know, make any noise or anything, but I think they're going to be decent. Is uh, I'm going to say the Detroit Pistons, you know. Cade Cunningham is looking like the generational talent he's touted to be. Jaden Ivey is solid. Sadiq Bey is looking like the next upcoming 3 and D guy to really break out. I think Marvin Bagley still has a lot of untapped potential he can get to. Uh, Beef Stew, you know, if there's one thing he really embodies, it's that Detroit grit and grind. He's willing to fight anybody, even the perceived GOAT. Uh, Jalen Duran, which I think was probably the finesse of the draft. Probably, not probably, I think unarguably probably the best center outside of Chet and probably one of the most NBA-ready players in terms of, like, the makeup. And that's not even talking about the nice veteran presence they have. Alec Burks is somebody that I think can really, not really anchor the team in any sense, but when it comes to having solid, solid role players, you know, the, the Andre Gudalas of the world, the, the Sean Livingstons, guys that aren't going to start on your team, but are the ones that really make the difference between winning and uh, staying in the lottery. Alec Burks is that. And I think Nerlens Noel is another guy that is super solid like Kelly Olynyk, they have some super duper nice looking veteran depth, I think. And you combine that with uh, what I think has the potential to be a very, very, very solid starting five. If I had to pick, uh, I would probably start Cade, Jaden, Sadiq. Uh, I would put Beef Stew at the four and then Jalen Duran as my five. I like Marvin Bagley, but you know, maybe, maybe let him uh, run the six man role, but Yeah. In short, I think they have a lot of the makeup to really have a super duper solid foundation, and uh, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Fair um, of of the Detroit Pistons as your pick, or what do I think? As this? either or. Uh, I mean, no, I think the kind of explanation of the Detroit Pistons is definitely, I think, good mention that maybe I didn't even think of, to be honest. And I think it's because, honestly, Detroit has been considered a poverty franchise for the last couple of years that we've known, and obviously they've seen, you know, hopeful actions that say otherwise. But I do think in this time around, with everything that's kind of flowing for them, there's, I think, a good possibility. And I think they were even a team I mentioned at some point that could really poise to kind of at least touch play-ins eventually in the next I think so, season. yeah. And if, yeah. They, if they fuck around and give Draymond the bag, shit, that team gonna be super-duper nice. He could contribute. Uh, he's, he is that guy, honestly. Uh, 
Um, in terms of who I honestly have, though, I mean, this is like a consensus pick, I think, for a lot of people, but I think it's who I kind of base this question around. But I think it's the Golden State Warriors. Um, mm. I think this is like the Golden, like, oh, fuck, I'm literally using I think they're like what I would consider a perfect franchise uh, in my mind. I mean, all things considered, there is teams that I think can compare it just in terms of how they go about things. But when you really think about the Warriors' development and who they've raised up, obviously with their dynasty they have now and what they have coming in with Jordan Poole, Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman, uh, the acquisition of Dante DiVincenzo, Andrew Riggins, you know, the list goes on. Um, it's pretty insane to me that they're going to honestly not really – you know, take that much of a step back once, you know, say their their big three retires. Um, I don't think literally any team can really speak to that right now. Um, I don't think there's a championship caliber team that, you know, if all their best players were to retire right now, that they would necessarily be able to still compete years after, you know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about that take necessarily, but off the top of my head, there really isn't a team that, matches that caliber of like I guess like future depth that they've already developed no yeah definitely uh, I, I'm someone like who it, fully agrees with that yeah yeah like it, there, there's no team in my head that really has you know figured out that equation and I mean Golden State Warriors have went from like a small market team to one of the biggest franchises in the world without question and oh, it's God. all due to all to due to really just the upper level management that they have going on because something Something's working for them, and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I like so. that. I like that. So obviously, there's a there's a big team. We, I think, a lot of people would have probably said, but you know, we both left them out. So I'm wondering. This is a perfect segue into my next question. What do you think the next, like, say, five years looks like for the Oklahoma City Thunder? You know, they got like. I think it's like 19 picks or something. I don't know where that number came from. I think it's 19, but that might have been including this year's draft. But either way, they got a shit ton of picks and a very young roster that doesn't necessarily have... uh, Well, there's somewhat of a direction, but I think it's really lacking in identity in a sense. But yeah, what do you think the next, the near future looks like for the Oklahoma City Thunder? To be honest... I think it looks good either way. I mean, I'm not going to say it doesn't because, to be honest, they have the assets to really, say, blow up what they have now and just try to turn it into a win-now team. Like, they could definitely be that team. And, I mean, nowadays you can't really say if and not and if they really are a uh, a desirable franchise to go towards. I mean, because they they haven't really made a true acquisition since Chris Paul was on the team back in – what was that when the Bucks won? 2020? I think it was the year before. It was the bubble year. Yeah. The year before the bubble year. Because that was the same year. I'm pretty sure the Bucks won. If I'm not mistaken. Oh, wait. You mean that. when like they really started? To... Yeah. That was. Yeah. Yeah, that was Giannis's second MVP. Yeah. And in between that, I mean, they haven't made any noticeable acquisitions because really they've just been pouring out for picks um so i mean it's hard to say like whether or not they're going to build up from what they have and turn into that franchise or if they're going to blow it up um i do 100 percent agree they don't really have much of identity and all right as i was saying before the technical difficulties yeah i think they lack some real identity right now uh you know if i'm being honest like NBA teams are really built on identities and also having players that shape those identities. And if you really look at their roster and like their, you know, conceived depth chart based off of ESPN, I feel like players like Darius Baisley and Jeremiah Robinson Earl are like players that, you know, in another universe could be out of the league, respectfully. I don't think they're those caliber of players that are going to really take them that much further. Players like Alexev, Alexej Pokuchevsky, who honestly has been in and out of the league through the G League, and for what reason, to be honest, like they're not playing for anything in the first place. Like, why 
why they bring him down a notch and you know obviously their their big their big savior Chet Holmgren is not even going to be around for the season I think honestly in five years they're just going to start kind of making it work and I think the only players I can see really being on this roster in five years are Shea, Josh Giddy, and Chet. The rest of the, I, I mean, no disrespect to, you know, uh, Kenrich Williams to Trey Mann. Man, you I mean, but put some just... respect on Theo Maladon. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I can't, honestly. <laughs> these, these are just, these are like, you, you, you gotta, you, I'm sure you know, like, these are just players that are not gonna put you over that hump, you know, and they're good. They're still searching for those players, and Chet could be that player, but they're not even going to know that for another year. And even after that, Chet, Josh, and Shea are not going to solve bad for either. So it's really hard to say. I, I, I actually don't know how to answer this question, to be honest. I think they might be in disarray in five years for all I know. Speaking of disarray, in my opinion, this is a hot take. The Oklahoma City Thunder's future is overrated as fuck, man. It was 19 picks or whatever, you know, there's only 15 roster spots on a fucking team. What are you going to do? I, you know, too much of a good thing is always considered a problem in the sense, whether, unless it's money maybe, but, well, you know, that's a whole nother situation, but I think the Oklahoma City Thunder are walking into to a situation where they're walking into a pigeonhole and evidently, I don't think maybe forced is a stretch, but they're going to be put in situations where they might have to like put pennies on the dollar kind of thing just because they don't have the roster spots. Unless they, unless they decide to like take a bunch of like stash, stash players. I don't know if those really count towards your 15 man roster, but either way, the number of picks they have supersedes the amount of roster spots they have. And for that reason, you know, they might be backed into a deal where, like, say if they were to make a move for a super big-name player, they might be able to say, hey, I know you got X amount of roster spots, but you got 10 times the amount of picks. Just throw, throw a whole bunch in there kind of thing. I think they're going to walk into that kind of situation or at least kind of be in some type of dilemma where evidently Sam Presti did too much of a good thing in a sense and, you know, this isn't to say that, well, yeah, it is to say that their future is kind of like up in the air in a sense, but they do have solid guys. I'll give them that. But evidently, this is kind of like another little segue question I had, but I'm, I'm, we're not going to make it a question. But it's the fact that there's no veteran presence on that team. You know, Udonis Haslam, he, well, he's a perfect example, but... There isn't really a guy to teach those guys how to play NBA basketball. These are, you know, every every NBA player, especially when they're a rookie, comes in thinking their dick is as big as an Eiffel Tower, to quote Kendrick Lamar. You know, they think that they there ain't shit wrong with their game, in a sense. And at, evidently, there's a lot wrong with their game. They don't really know how to play NBA basketball. You know, the speed is something they adjust to. The, the culture... Uh, the environment, all the faster pace of everything, baby mamas. I mean, shout out to PJ Washington. Nah, but there isn't really like a Sifu sensei kind of guy on that team. And evidently, I think that's what every team needs, especially if you're a young team. Now you combine that with the fact that they have so much draft capital, there's no way they can store it all. It's, it's very either, it has a lot of boomer bust potential. Now, obviously, the safe route, route is to say, you know, they have those picks. They're going to get a Victor Wembanyama. They're going to be able to get generational guys. Yeah, that's all fine and dandy, but, you know, I'm going to live on the edge a little bit. I think that they are going to walk into a bunch of situations where they're going to get hoed. Can you imagine how many picks Danny Ainge is going to, like, get out of Sam Presti if that were ever to be on the table? But, yeah, that's uh, that's my little... that's. That's my me matching your hot take with the with the Kings and Deer and Fox, but yeah. Yeah, no, I honestly agree with that take hundred percent too. I mean, maybe we're delusional fans that don't maybe see the 
quote unquote vision. And maybe some OKC diehard fans like, you know, dick munch on. But I personally just think, yeah, there's there's really not much to look forward to in this team right now. Like, I think Shea, in my mind, is expiring faster than they think. He's oh, yeah. I, he's like slightly out of the the window, I feel. Like, he's not even fitting into their timeline at this point. Like, if, if they really wanted to, you know, make a run, whenever that run is, like, he is just, like, you can, I can imagine he's a player that doesn't, not necessarily want to wait for his run forever, because players at his point in his career were already, you know, kind of poisoned to make runs with, like, that caliber of, like, just being a good player in the league, at least having some support. Like, look at Luka Doncic, he's never... He's obviously been given some good teammates, you know, and he's obviously generational talent, but, you know, every NBA player has that confidence. Sorry, fuck. Every NBA player has that confidence. And I think for Shea to, like, kind of just, like, waste his, like, youthful years on a rebuilding team is one of those things where I honestly see it, like, ending up for him the way, say, like, Kemba Walker's career. That's a good comp. We're waiting around kind of being like a star guard, but not necessarily having anything to show for it in terms of just anything. And then, you know, getting finally traded to say a Boston Celtics-esque team and not knowing how to play like NBA college basketball. You're finally, you know, in a position to do it. And then your career kind of tanks down and you see where the Kevin Walker's went. He's went to New York. He's now in Detroit, right? I think so, but I'm pretty sure the plan is for him to get bought out. I don't know if that ever happened, but yeah. No, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. And that, you know, Kemba Walker was like an all-star, like, less than, pretty sure, less than five years ago. That's just, I, I see Shea's career going that way. Things will happen. Shit, hopefully not, because, you know, I, I think he's got potential to be better than Steve Nash. All right, let's do, uh, let's do one more question from each of us, and then we'll wrap it up. So what, what's the final question you want to get off your chest? Uh, this one was, like, kind of a question that I think maybe is just levitating in the air. Um, and I think, how do I put this? I think it's one of those questions that you could have an answer with. Some people would be like, it's not a surprise, but do you think there's any surprise playoff appearances this year? Any potential surprise conference final appearances? I mean, obviously, like, if you look at the West, there's a ton of teams that you could make considered to already have made it. I mean, LA, Pelicans, Timberwolves, Denver, those are all teams that I think are already considered like potential like potential uh, conference final teams. And I mean, I'd say like if there's any team that's not mentioned that I just mentioned there, who, who do you think it would be? Ooh. So basically, any team that can make a, a run a la 2021 Atlanta Hawks, right? Like, let, let's say, you know, to put it in a kind of analogy, uh, a We Believe Warriors type deal, you know, like a 8th seed turn magical, or even a team that's just not considered to be that, that team right now. Hmm. Who can make the jump? Okay, I'm looking at the standings here and all that. Hmm. I'm not gonna lie, man. The West looks pretty. The West, the West is pretty stacked, and obviously for that reason, I, I know you said kind of outside of that, but this is a team I'm incredibly high on. I think their window's right about to open, and time is now, baby. It's Denver. Nikola Jokic has been. The 1A and 1B, the best basketball player in the world next to Giannis, in my opinion. I, you know, obviously two different games completely, but what Jokic does and how the eye test and every single test indicates that he is amongst the best is riveting. You know, there is literally a world where the Denver Nuggets have at least solid health. And they make at least a conference finals run, I think. Damn near like a finals run, if you ask me. I think 
Jamal Murray is going to come back. And even if he's not really at 100%, you don't necessarily need, well, because obviously it was like a torn Achilles or ACL or whatever. A lot of that really comes down to the athleticism. And no doubt, Jamal Murray is a guy who has the ability to jump above the rim. But at the end of the day, shooter's touch doesn't leave. And, you know, he's a sniper for sure. And being able to play off of a Jokic that's had two years or had, yeah, two back-to-back MVPs, had the ability to really flesh out his game, flesh out, you know, his ability to play make, whether it's at the top of the key, in the post, on the block, whatever. Jamal Murray is going to come back to a completely different player, in my opinion. Michael Porter Jr., he's probably the biggest X factor and kind of the boomer bust guy for this in that. We've seen him be a 25-point-per-game scorer. But we also see his most recently where that dude was struggling to even make 10 points. So the Denver Nuggets are a team I'm incredibly high on. I think they are looking way better. We're going to see Aaron Gordon not necessarily have to be number two. He's played that for his two years in Denver so far, essentially. And him taking a step back, I think, will only make him better. You know, defenses aren't going to key on in him as much. He's just going to be in a way better situation to succeed. Bones, Highland. Uh, I definitely, this is definitely another kind of hot take, I guess. But low-key, if not this year, maybe the next couple years, could be in the contention for that six-man-of-the-year type of award. I, He's got the makings of it. You know, shifty, got decent playmaking. But at the end of the day, dude's a motherfucking bucket. And on a team that has a bunch of playmakers, a bunch of bucket getters, nothing wrong with getting more buckets, in my opinion. That's what Russell Will- that's what not Russell Wilson. That's what Bill Russell said. So I think the team that is poised to make maybe not necessarily a surprise, because I feel like a lot of people are also in the same boat where they think that the Nuggets are about to like really step into that window of contention. But I mean, 48 wins with a bunch of role players. And you're getting back two max guys. I'm not going to say that it's like destiny. But essentially, they're they're right in that position to really, you know, really do what Carmelo Anthony couldn't. But yeah. 100% agree. Denver is that team right now. I mean, I know I mentioned them. And to be honest, like, I think they could still fit into that, like, dark horse role because... Truthfully, they've been out of that, you know, since Jamal Murray's injury and the bubble season that they haven't necessarily, like, shown that they can beat that team. But I don't think people understand the caliber of their team. No doubt. It really is, like, really is kind of on the horizon for them. But uh, for me, I mean, I had to show some representation for my boy Ruben, but also because I genuinely feel this. But I think the Toronto Raptors are that surprise team. Um, I mean, you look at their roster and... I think it's only, you know, like this year around that they've honestly started to gain some traction as like a team that like has a future. Um, and I mean, if I didn't mention the Warriors, I think this is one of those teams that has a future outside of you know, their star players. And to be honest, their star players are all very young. I mean, starting lineup of Fred, Van Vliet, uh, Gary Trent Jr., Legion, Anobi, Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam. These are all players that I think Honestly, have something to prove in the league. Uh, Pascal Siakam, if I'm not mistaken, and this is you know the casual, non-casual fan in me, was the All NBA third team last year? Yes. Are you sure he was? No. Yeah, I. This, these are things that I like slightly remember, but you know Pascal Siakam had a breakout season last year. I do know that, or at least had a better season than the previous. Um, Scotty Barnes, obviously rookie of the year, going to into his sophomore season. I think he's going to have he's going to be one of those players. I think that just excels in his sophomore year. I know it's like infamous in the league for players to take a step down after a good rookie campaign, but this guy is built like like a Tonka truck, like on the floor, like being able to play the point guard position with that frame. Like I don't know. I think this team is kind of a more refined version in some senses of what I think uh, the Cavs were trying to do with their big man lineup. Like, it's obviously a smaller version, but I do think they're like, like they're kind of 
three men up top are like just three bulky dudes. Pause. Sorry, I, I didn't know how to phrase that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, Ogan and Obi, Scotty Barnes, and Pascal Siakam, like, all in a start, starting lineup, to me, is a death lineup waiting to happen. And it's just a matter of, like, one player stepping up into that role that Kawhi kind of had in their championship. Mm, taking the reins, yeah. This, it, yeah. Like, because I, I do think that's what this team is really built to do. Um, and I mean, it's maybe a matter of when and maybe it's not next year. Um, but they do have the genetic makeup, the history, the experience to kind of be that team. And I mean, I haven't really even mentioned kind of what they have in their depth. I mean, Precious Achua showed really good spurts of just like kind of starting to develop into a young player. Obviously, I think that was kind of prolonged when he was on the heat and not getting minutes. Um, Chris Boucher, I think, has something to prove with kind of the feud he had with uh, coaching staff and the fact he was re-signed, I think, shows that there is still like a good relationship there and that they're going to kind of, I think, work him into the rotation a lot more this year. Uh, uh, Malachi Flynn dropped, what is it, 70? Man, fuck pro am <laughs> game. You're not bringing that up. Come on now. I, I know. I'm just playing. Not when I just mentioned for fun. But, I mean, he's one of those players who's got, got some fire in his heart. He's obviously like a score off. You have Otto Porter Jr., I think, is definitely one of those things, too. That's going to play off the championship. But, but he I respect is one of those players that. that. Makes, I respect that. Makes that. Um, but, yeah. I have to shout out the Raptors one time. Yeah, Ruben. Shout out to you, Ruben, man. All right, last question. It's kind of on this similar vein, but flat out, what team do you think has the most boom or bust potential? Not a team that's, like, obviously a shoo-in or anything like that. Not a team that's going to be, like, consensus they're going to be asked, but, you know, who's right in that middle that they're either going to be, like, really, really good or really, really bad? Oh, man. There's one team that I think a lot of people think of when this question is closed. I think it's the Brooklyn Nets, to be honest. I think every single player on that... Okay, not sorry. Let me rephrase. Every star player on that team is literally a boomer bust on their own. And I think that's kind of scary. I mean, because if you take away, say, Kyrie Irving, placement of Patty Mills, that team just becomes that much less effective. Maybe that's not the best example, but say take away Kevin Durant because of some sort of drama, some sort of injury. You got Royce O'Neal coming in instead. And all of a sudden, the team is just Kyrie Irving and maybe Ben Simmons. Um, I think all these players, like these three players, these three star players are, you know, I mean, it's been talked about, like they could still be like the contending team. They could be the championship team, without question. But they could also, you know, with one bad piece of drama one injury there they they could be like the worst like another playing team or even not even playing team but, uh, just because I think much like how the Lakers are built but you know in a bit more of a refined way where you have stars that are like they'll quote unquote like not pass their prime or not like so injury ridden like say AD I think they have so what it takes to be that contending team. Like I don't see that in the Lakers, but they they haven't shown that in like the last few seasons I've been. So yeah, this is this is the boomer bust team for me. I don't think there's anyone that really, in my mind, is built this way. It's been one of the most interesting topics of conversation. And honestly, if they kind of end up this season the way they le- ended up the last few seasons, I would be. I don't know. I would relocate that team again. Bring, bring them Vancouver, man. Like, at this point, it's just an embarrassment. Oh, God. To the basketball. Oh, God. Yeah, that's a, that's a solid pick. For me, I think it's Atlanta. Uh, I think that, you know, their move, if you made it, say, now, with the Donovan Mitchell thing having already happened... I think the chatter is very minimal. You know, I'm not saying DeJounte Murray's ass. That's that's really not the, the conversation I'm trying to have. But I think a lot of what the Atlanta Hawks are touted for is sort of the idea 
of what that backcourt can be. Well, granted, that's all you really have to go off of right now. But overall, these are two high usage guys. These are guys that are used to having their ball, the ball in their hand. Their ball in their, they're used to having the ball in their hand. They're used to having very high like touches and all that stuff. But that and Trey Young's kind of looked at as this like heir apparent to Steph Curry. And, you know, sure, here and there, maybe. I, I think Steph's much more of a natural point guard than Steph. Or Trey is much more of, like, a natural point guard than Steph is. Just like how I think Steph's much more of a better shooter than Trey is. And the idea of Trey Young going off ball seems cool. You know, he's small. He's going to be able to get through screens easier. He's going to be able to, like, run on the court and all that stuff. It's going to be hard to, like, you know put a mark on him at all times but you know I think until we see it it's that's still the next thing to be seen same thing with DeJounte he's a dude who you could say wouldn't be on shit if he didn't get drafted to San Antonio San Antonio is known for having very very good developmental staff that's not to say he's gonna fall off a cliff but overall if there's one team that I'm kind of like their stock was here at the beginning of the offseason with the trade they meant. And then with all this stuff happening in the Eastern Conference, again, the Donovan Mitchell trade, there, if I had to be very blunt, the the outlook I have right now is probably the plane, if I'm being real. Let me let me look at like yeah. let me let me look at the teams again to be to be like a hundred percent sure on that, but Okay, if I'm looking here, yeah. So, I mean, looking at the teams that are in front of me, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, uh, Cleveland, and I think Brooklyn on paper, it's either Brooklyn or Chicago. So those are like, what is that? Five teams that I think are for sure going to be above them and two guys that I'm like, they're... I would say the boom is more potential for them rather than the bust. And even then, I I think you take this first year, not necessarily as a wash or anything like that, but I would temper my expectations in that, you know, it's two guys that are, again, used to, used to having the ball in their hand, used to getting all the touches, and now that's going to be, like, slashed in a sense. So, you know, we'll see how it goes. But as of right now, I think the Atlanta Hawks have the most boomer bust potential. That's a really interesting take that I've really opened my eyes. I mean, I have the Eastern Conference settings right in front of me, too. And, yeah, I think it's going to be tough for them, honestly, to kind of, even with such a big trade, such a big acquisition of DeJounte Murray, to actually make that impact on the, the Eastern Conference, honestly. Um, and I do think it's honestly going to take, I think, more than DeJounte Murray as an acquisition for them to, you know, compete for like a spot. I think it's going to take a lot of stepping up as well. Mm. I think DeAndre Hunter, I think, is poised for a big season. I hope Onyeka Okongwu gets a lot of burn. You know, I think he's able to play much more of that positionless basketball than Clint Capella. And who else did? I mean, the Jalen Johnson dude they drafted, he ain't really get much burn. I don't really know if he's really on shit, but, you know. I think a lot of – sorry, go on. Oh, no, I don't even know what I was going to say. What were you going to say? <laughs> no, I, I honestly think – I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it ain't on him, but I do think we need to see a bit more out of John Collins too. In order for this oh, how could I – yeah, I'm, I'm a big John Collins trooper. Uh, I, I do think so. I, am I, I think he's going to get back to 20 and 10. But but again, I think the whole the whole foundation and the whole thing of this pyramid being erected is uh based on how that duo plays together. Yeah, I hundred percent think that's you know how this has to go. Like in order for the Trey Young to John Murray experiment to work, I think John Collins has to play an equal part in that because really these are two players that are kind of pass first guards at the end of the day. I mean, obviously. They're dominant enough to like get their own, but you know, at the end of the day, you have players like John Collins and Clint Capella who are going to have to be fed the ball as much to win games. Um, so I do think you know he is gonna have to step up, and I think he will. 
but I do think it, I can see entirely why you think everyone wants to see because I think there's just a lot of moving pieces in the cog and one piece taken out or one kind of fault they're kind of you know still that playing team this year nice 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 with that being said this has been another episode of the black top podcast hopefully next week we're back whole again uh chris you got any last words or anything No, I don't. Nah. I was going to say some fuck shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's a perfect place to end. With that being said, stay safe, stay blessed. We'll see you all soon.